The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 17, and can be found on page 988 in the Church Bibles. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Well, a very good morning to you all. Um, A big welcome, especially if this is your first time at Holy Trinity. Um, My name is Stuart, and I'm on staff here, one of the curates uh, alongside Ollie, and uh, oversee the student team alongside Ellie and a bunch of other fun people. Um, And it's our privilege. We're looking at uh, Jesus' road up to Easter. You may, you may or may not have heard Easter's coming. And um, in these morning, pas- morning passages that we're looking at over the next few weeks, we're looking at Jesus' road to, to the cross. And this morning we're looking at this passage, Jesus arriving at Jerusalem. So will you pray with me as, as we begin? Lord, we do thank you so much for this time of year when we get to think again, remind ourselves 
of all that you did for us at Easter. And we pray as we look at this passage this morning, that you would teach us new things about you and your love. Amen. Brilliant. Well, I don't know whether you've heard the one about the, uh, the student and the professor. Um, well, it goes like this. There was a student, and uh, he had some exams to do, end-of-year exams. Uh, nothing new there. Um, and so he went to his exam, and he, uh, he sat down there. There was paper, and everyone was surrounding him. And uh, he started off, and uh, time went by, time went by. Uh, and at the front was the, the professor sitting there invigilating, you know, uh, marking things as past the time. And then it came to the end of the exam, and the professor called, time, everyone put your pens down. And so all around him, uh, all around this student, all the other students start to put down their pens, and, 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 and you know, he says, okay, everyone come up and put your you know, hand your papers in, and everyone stands up, except for this one guy. And he sits there, he's just scribbling away, scribbling away, scribbling away. And so the professor kind of sees him at the back. Excuse me, sir, if you could put your pen down, the exam is finished. Um, and uh, the guy keeps scribbling, scribbling. Everyone's finished, everyone's come and put their paper on the desk, it's a big pile. He's still scribbling away. Excuse me, sir, so the guy just puts his pen down and he walks up, approaches this professor at his desk with this big pile. Um, and, and the professor says, I'm afraid, sir, that you can't hand your paper in. You're over three minutes after, and I told you three times to put your pen down, and you didn't. So you failed, I'm afraid. So the student squares up to him and says, do you know who I am? Do you have any idea who I am? The professor is obviously pretty irked by this. Isn't no, sir, I have no idea who you are, and I really don't care. To which the student said, oh, thank goodness, lifted half the pile of papers up, slipped his paper in the middle, and then walked off. <laughs> now, I, I, I quite like that story, um, partially because it's just a little bit funny, but also because I think uh, it captures some of the sentiment uh, that we find in this passage, um, Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem. That sentiment of like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You know, like, what are you doing? Do you think you're going to get away with that? Maybe you get that feeling when someone jumps a red light just in front of you. Just think, who, what, who do you think you are? Or, or, or jumps a queue in front of you like, I'm important. Why are you just... You know that sense? Who do you think you are? Well, that is the question I think everyone was asking. Everyone was asking as Jesus arrived at Jerusalem that day. Some of them were asking it a bit more kind of openly, like, who does this guy think he is? Like, who is he? You know, who is he? And some of the crowd are saying, oh, maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's this, maybe he's that. And I think others were asking it with a lot more bite. Who does he think he's, who does he think he is? And it is a good question. It is a good question. I wonder whether you've ever asked it. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think he thought he was? Uh, up until this time in his ministry, if we read through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been remarkably coy. He's been remarkably um, kind of unexcited about people putting labels on him. You know, there's a couple of times people have come and asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you, are you claiming to be the, the King of Israel, the one that God has sent? And he's kind of like kind of backed away from the question and sort of said things like, well, just look at the things I'm doing. What do you, who do you think I am? Or actually, there was a group of people came to try and make him king, and he kind of just ran away, basically. Um, and so it's a good question. Uh, and actually, if you 
if you do first year theology Cambridge, um, it's like a, a standard essay question that you get set in the first year, which is, um, did Jesus ever really claim to be king? Did Jesus ever really think he was the one sent by God? Or was that just something, is that just something that his followers after him kind of projected onto him? Well, if you ever find yourself answering that essay, uh, maybe you're going to take, a, take up First Earth Theology next year, um, I would, I'll give you one for free. You, you, have to, uh, you have to include this passage in your essay. You have to include this passage in your essay. Because this is Jesus' big unveil. This is the equivalent of Jesus' big press conference. This is him rolling out the carpet, getting the cameras out and saying, let me tell you who I am. And he, it, he wanted this to be unmissable and he wanted it to be unmistakable. And as we read this passage, there's the central thing that should hit us, the central thing that should strike us is that Jesus by the way he entered Jerusalem, was claiming to be king. He was claiming to be the king of Israel. And um, we don't really uh, get most of that. Uh, we kind of, I don't know about you, but maybe you heard this story in Sunday school or just kind of heard about it. And it's, we sort of imagine this kind of nice Jesus just gently, it's a lovely sunny day and people are waving palms, which is weird. And um, it's kind of just a bit of a fun celebration. And I, kind of, I think we kind of miss what's, what's going on often. Um, but uh, as, I, as we study this passage, as I've looked at it, I've just seen that I think Jesus has meticulously planned this entry. He's really thought about it. He's really lined everything up. And his aim is to fulfill as many Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah King as possible. He has got... He has got Old Testament prophecy bingo sitting in front of him and he's trying to tick off as many as he can and when he hits, when he hits Jerusalem he's, he's screaming bingo and um, so we've got to just kind of like pick up on some of those so the first one is he, he, he decides his approach you know which angle to come in on and, and so he chooses to come in from, from the east and there are lots of prophecies in the Psalms um, uh, about the Messiah coming from the east, and it's, very, uh, it's a very important route. And then he, he starts on the Mount of Olives, and there's a prophecy in Zechariah 14 about um, the Messiah coming, standing on the, on, the, on the Mount of Olives and coming into Jerusalem. And, and he goes in through the east gate, the gate of the king, um, and uh, it's all very symbolic. And next he decides his transport. Now, there's no Air Force One. I think he would have come in Air Force One if he was trying to make the, uh, make the point today. Um, but instead, he organizes himself a donkey. It's not quite, it's not quite the same. Um, but I don't think it was just because he was tired and just wanted to come in on a donkey while everyone else was walking. We're told that he, he, he particularly told his disciples to go and get this donkey. And not just a donkey, but the co a colt, the foal of a donkey, not, you know, not, uh, not being ridden on before. And we're told that he did that to... Um, to fulfill that prophecy we heard there read, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I quite like the way he does that. I don't know whether you noticed that. It's quite cheeky, really. I might try next time I want to borrow someone's bicycle. Um, and they're sort of like, that's not your bicycle. And I just say, ah, oh, but the Lord needs it. And just see what kind of response 
I get. I don't know whether he had a, an arrangement with the guy or whether that was just, ooh, I, would you say no if someone said that to you? I don't know. The Lord needs it. Okay, just bring it back. Anyway, um, he organizes himself a donkey. But also, um, uh, we see that the crowd begins to catch on to what is going on here. You know, we may not, but they certainly can see what's happening here. And so um, there are many people, probably pilgrims, coming down that road at the time, and they begin to throw down their cloaks before him. Again, makes no sense to me, um, but um, they did it. It was something they did in the Old Testament. We see it in two kings where before Jehu, when they crown him king, they just throw down cloaks before him and branches. It's like a really symbolic act. And then they're all shouting and, uh, and, and excited. And it's not just kind of general hubbub. Um, listen to the names that they are calling him. They call him the son of David. They call him the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And these are prophetic titles. They're about the prophet, uh, the, the Messiah King, the one coming from King David's line. And then even when he arrives in Jerusalem, and I don't think I'd ever made this connection before, I, th- I, kinda, I guess I'd thought they were two separate stories, Jesus at the temple and Jesus arriving at Jerusalem. But when he arrives, um, the first thing he does is he goes to the temple. And that, again, was fulfilling a prophecy in Malachi that said that the first thing Messiah do, did when he arrived would be to cleanse the temple. To, to, to cleanse the temple. We see that in other places like Ezekiel as well. And so Jesus goes straight to the temple and he's casting out uh, the money changers, throwing over the tables. He's denouncing the corruption. He's denouncing the fact that um, people were being excluded from worshiping God and from praying because of um, uh, these, these money changers and, and, and the way that the poor are being denied access to God because the, the whole system was corrupt. So he comes and he cleanses the temple. And then the final, probably the cherry on the cake for me, is the way that he responds to the, uh, the religious leaders. I mean, they're a little bit ticked off. And it's understandable. I mean, if someone came in here and was chucking chairs around, um, you know, you'd want to ask why. And, um, and, so they, and they're particularly indignant about all what the ch- listen to what the children are saying, Jesus. They're calling you, they're giving you praise with the kind of words that, the Old Testament praises God with, you know, come on, come on, can't you hear this? And this was Jesus' moment to go, oh man, oh, I've just put it together. Oh, I came from Mount of Olives, I came in the East Gate. Oh, people were shouting, I wasn't really listening, but people were shouting things. And then I came in here and I was throwing tables around. I can see how this was misconstrued. I can see how it's been a horrible mistake. Um, Sorry, guys, should have come in the other side. I'm not good with geography. Um, All would have been fine. But no, he doesn't. He says, guys, have you never read your Bibles? Have you never read your Bibles? This is God at work. This praise, I'm not going to turn it away. It's for me. This This whole thing from start to finish is one big prophetic act. It's Jesus's press conference. And he's letting us know who he thinks he is. And I think the one thing we struggle with is, is to realize how confrontational this must have been. You know, sometimes we have a, an image of Jesus meek and mild in our heads and um, not without uh, good reason, but he is not being meek and mild here. Can you imagine how confrontational, how riling it must have been for, say, King Herod, the king of 
the king of the Jews, <laughs> to have a king arrive at Jerusalem. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the Roman, the, the occupying centurion in charge of, of keeping the peace, to have someone arrive declaring themselves king? Can you imagine what it must have been like for the religious rulers whose job was to be guardian of, of the temple and everything and to have this man chucking over the temples and telling them that they haven't read their Bibles? They could cope with this Jesus while he just claimed to be a prophet, while he just claimed to be kind of a wise man, but now he claims to be king. Let me suggest to us, this is what got Jesus killed. This is what got Jesus executed. You know, sometimes I think we hear it cast like the whole trial was just a mistrial and there was, you know, um, there's some unfortunate circumstances happened and Jesus was a bit misunderstood and then he got killed. Um, but have you ever wondered why in the Easter story, maybe you'll notice it this time as we go through Easter, why it is that when Jesus is brought before King Herod, King Herod mocks him by putting one of his royal robes on him and he mocks him. Or why when, Pontius, when Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate, his big question to Jesus is, are you the king of the Jews? Or why when the soldiers are beating Jesus and mocking him before they take him off to the cross, they, they, they put a fake scepter in his hand and a fake crown of thorns on his head and they, they pretend to bow before him, like, hail king of the Jews. Or why the charge written above his head on the cross was, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Jesus didn't die because of an accident on his part or anyone else's. Jesus was executed because of his entry into Jerusalem, because he claimed to be king. And I'm not going to spend long on this, but it, this is a good place to just pause and remind ourselves that Jesus claims to be our king too. Um, I wonder how we feel about that. We obviously know how the people of Jerusalem felt about that. But how do we feel about that? And it's a good place to remind ourselves that Jesus doesn't set him up, himself up to be easily dismissed as a wise teacher or even a prophet. Um, in fact, if we, if we read carefully, you know, the stories of what Jesus said about himself, what he did, just like this story, he really makes some absolutely extraordinary, outrageous claims that make us and leave us asking the question, who did he think he was? Some of these come to mind. He claimed to be the one representative of God. He said, no one has seen God the Father except anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What? He claimed to be the one way, the one way to God. He says this in many places, but then he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He claimed to be the way through death. He said, my Father's will is that anyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Wow. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, 
he says these words. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a pretty big claim. And I just want to point out, really, that um, maybe we've been, maybe we're new to Christianity, maybe we're just investigating, and we're beginning to realize that uh, as we try and follow Jesus, um, he makes some claims on us. He makes some demands of us, and we're thinking, oh, wow, I didn't really expect this. Or maybe you have been following Jesus for a while, and uh, again, it's kind of like you've been trying to make sense of Jesus, and you're trying to, you know, take, take his teachings, you're trying to learn, but again, you're thinking, wow, this is... This is interesting. I feel, like, I feel like God's asking more of me than this. It, it, it's important to understand that we will never really understand Jesus until we understand his claim to be king. That, that is a central part of who he is, that we can never receive the blessing of Jesus unless we also receive his kingship. They just come together. There's no Jesus who isn't king. There's no Jesus who doesn't claim to be king. They come together. We know how the people of Jerusalem felt about that, but how do we feel about that? So that's the first thing we see in this passage, and we would just not be looking at the passage if we didn't notice that. But it would be wrong of us just to leave it there, because there is another big point which this passage highlights, and it's this, which is our constant propensity as human beings to project onto Jesus all manner of fears and hopes about him and his kingship that are nothing to do with who he is. Human beings constantly get wrong, are constantly afraid of what God's kingship, what Jesus' kingship means for us. And it's no different here. You know, some of those crowd were super excited about Jesus arriving because they thought, oh, great, he's, gonna, he's just going to destroy the Romans. He's going to go straight up to the praetorium. And he's, oh, no, he's gone to the temple. Wait, hold on. Wait, cancel, cancel. We don't want him as our king. And then there were um, the religious leaders as well, weren't they? Um, they were afraid. They were afraid. They had Jesus executed because they were afraid of him. And they perceived his kingship as a threat to them. There were lots of people asking the kind of indignant question, who do you think you are of Jesus? But very few people actually asked the question, Jesus, who do you think you are? Very few people actually took the time, including his own disciples, to really sit down and think, okay, what kind of king is Jesus really claiming to be? And if they'd looked more carefully, and if we looked more carefully, we would ask, like, this is just not the kind of king we expect at all. What kind of king arrives at an already occupied city with no armor, no chariot, no, no battle experience, no war horse, no political allies, with fishermen as generals, um, with pilgrims as an army, uh, riding, not, as I said, on a war horse, but on a, on a donkey. And one he doesn't even own. He's borrowed a donkey for the day. He doesn't even have a saddle. And then when he arrives, what kind of king exercises their authority when they arrive? Not by turning to Praetorium and whipping up the crowd, but by going to the temple, whose first speech is about prayer and about, about calling 
the nation back to God and about including the... He's healing. That's his ministry. That's his kingship. He's healing people in the temple. And he's welcoming in outcasts who could otherwise not have come into the temple. And I just want to remind us that Remind us that this is the way that God uses his power. This is the way that God uses his power. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. He's not out to rob us or restrict us or ruin us. He's, he's come to bring life. And we have to remember this story in the context of the story of Easter you know, I think so often, as soon as we get a whiff of Jesus making any kind of claim on our lives, maybe we're just investigating Christianity, maybe we just feel God's just said something to us recently that's challenging. As soon as we get a whiff of that, we instantaneously react defensively, don't we? Who do you think you are, Jesus, to be telling me what, what to do with my life? We don't actually ask what he wants to do um, and it's not long after this entry into Jerusalem that we find this very king down on his knees washing, washing his disciples' feet as a slave and explaining to them that uh, the Son of Man hasn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what, uh, what those... Uh, what those uh, religious leaders couldn't see because of their fear was that Jesus hadn't come to destroy or capture Jerusalem. He'd come to die for it. He had come to die for it. And what we often can't see is that Jesus has not come to capture us or destroy us or take over like any other king. He's come to die for us. We can't imagine any other kind of kingship than the kind of kingship that robs us of our freedom. We can't imagine that giving God more room in our lives is going to mean anything other than less room for us. But Jesus doesn't come to us like that. And there will be a day, we're told, when Jesus returns in glory, when he does come to judge, and when he does come to uh, bring justice. But today, he comes to us on a donkey. Today, he comes to us as the one who comes to die for us. Today he comes to us gentle and humble and invites us. He comes as the one who created us and knows us and loves us, whose kingship is tied up with his blessing. Let's not mistake his kindness and his humility like they did for his weakness. But let's also not be afraid. Let's take the time to ask what kind of king he really would be if we let him be our king. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do sometimes find it hard to have you come to our door and claim to be king. Lord, I don't think there's anyone here who finds that intrinsically easy. Um doesn't raise some fear in us but I thank you Lord Jesus for the way that you poured out your life for us and showed us what your kingship is like Lord we pray that you would be teaching us to trust you more and more 
Pray that you'd be teaching us more and more about your love over this Easter time. That we would be more willing to let you bring the life transformation that you always do in the lives of those who follow you. Amen.